We're back, ladies and gentlemen, and I have more clothes on. Your two favorite podcasters, Jordan. <laughs> and I'm Julian. And uh, I guess if the trend is Jordan's layering up as these podcasts go, I'm ready to see where we're at in the middle of summer and what uh, he's wearing. This is a this is a winter thing only. Um, <laughs> people expect me to be uh, starkly <laughs> clothed by the time that Gene comes around. Well, I'm glad you're starting off clothed in the first podcast of 2018. Yeah. So. Hey, everybody, welcome to the the new year. I hope it started great for you guys. Um, and today to start off this new year of podcasts, we are going to touch on something that was somewhat popular uh, in our previous podcasts. We're going to talk about stocks. Yeah. So with new year's resolutions and just people expanding their knowledge, I think, um, some people want to save money or learn how to invest their money. And I think the basis is a good place to start is, you know, stock 101 is what we'll quote unquote call it. And, you know, we'll probably have a, you know, 204 class or whatever we go on with it. Um, obviously this is based on personal experience. There's not a whole lot of, I wouldn't take this word for word, but hopefully you pick something up here and you can start off your 2018 with some new knowledge heading in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so get out your pencils. It should be a good one. Yeah. So also on the premise is I know relatively the same amount of stock knowledge as not very many average people. So very little as opposed to Jordan on the side has this good background. So this will be, I think if you're on either end of the spectrum, you're going to pick something up here. Yeah. Yeah. That is a very good point since we have kind of two two sides of the the spectrum of kind of knowledge and not saying that you are profoundly not knowledgeable and I'm not saying that I'm profoundly knowledgeable about this stuff but I feel like a lot of people will get the value out of um, getting in the middle somewhere between us okay so to start off I think a good place to start is what is a stock so a stock um, or equities or an equity, uh, as I like to call it, or some people like to call it, is a share of a, a usually a publicly traded company, but it doesn't have to be publicly traded. Yeah, and a lot of I think a lot of people are familiar with stocks, and the way I always think about it is I always think hear the situations like, oh, if I would have bought Google stock and X and Y, I would be rolling in it right now, and I always think like, what is that stock today? You know, how do I get to it? You know, what does it really mean, and like, what's affecting the price or the value of some of those stocks? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you you hear about that quite often, and it seems like kind of. Uh, like um, characterized in like, you know, something you hear about you know, old people saying or whatever. But um, basically to kind of spell it out is um, let's say we can talk about Google. So let's say that uh, somewhere down the line, Google had its IPO. I mean, as a company, it was private for a while. And then eventually when it went public, it had its IPO, which stands for initial initial public offering, which is basically its first time. Um, bringing its stock or shares of its company out to the public so everyone can buy it. So you and I could buy it and stuff like that. And so at that time, usually IPOs um, for companies, they're not going to be like huge mega companies like you could see Google is now or like an Amazon. Like when you see those companies that large, either they'll usually never go public or 
they went public when they were a lot smaller, for instance. And that's why you hear people saying like, oh, yeah, when when I was around, Google was like, you know, the uh, two stacks of hay or, you know, <laughs> yeah. a hay penny or whatever. And uh, you saying that made me think of like, in some cases, there's some companies that are pretty large and go public. And I think the example I thought of was like Snapchat like last year did an IPO came out and it was those stocks were trading like crazy, which we'll get into. And then it kind of just died. And that's also something that comes around. Like I wasn't aware of and, you know, purchasing stock is like, you always think of Snapchat as this great, you know, social media thing that's going on now. And they're like, Oh, I can buy a share. Maybe it's going to be huge. And there's other things you value in that. And it's important to, you know, kind of know, you know, what that stock is and what it means for that company and where you see that company going. Yeah, definitely. And just for a fun fact for you guys, uh, in 2017, Snap Snapchat, um, the company, had the two most downloaded apps in Snapchat and Bitmoji. So that's kind of uh, something fun that you could tell your friends or whatever. But yeah, exactly. Like there's, I mean, you see companies like Snapchat uh, do their IPO and you know, it's you look at them as this huge social media company and stuff like that. But truly, at the end of the day, when it comes to equities and stocks, uh, it's about pleasing the shareholder, which is you and me. And what at the end of the day, what that means is, uh, you know, increasing your net profit and, you know, either whatever side it's on, if it's after uh, like, you know, tax or like, or after, you know, operational earnings and it's in the tax side or the depreciation side or, you know, amortization side or beforehand, it's about increasing that margin. Yeah. And I think that's something once again, that I wasn't aware of. I knew stock prices changed, but like my main, like I'm still kind of cloudy about is like what influences, you know, a stock price to go up and down. And like, obviously there's in the news, you see like, Oh, crazy event. So-and-so said this in the stock drop, but not every company has those crazy events. So like, in your opinion, what are some of the main factors that influence the price of the fluctuating price of a stock of said company? Um, the great question. And the things that I believe influence stock prices, uh, quite often is, um, first I really, uh, want to, impress the uh the knowledge of the market is very efficient and when i say the market is very efficient like the stock market is very efficient so usually whatever price you're buying a stock or equity at is it's it's for a specific reason why it's there and when you get into the micro moves like you know day trading and stuff uh, it gets a little more fuzzy but granted like on a you know on a grand scheme like things are accurately priced but the reason why things would move up and down uh through time is uh like let's say consumer expectations changed about something so for instance um let's say before um back in the day before apple uh, had their first quarterly earnings when they started selling the iPod or even before they started selling the iPod. Um, you could see their stock price uh, changed quite a bit in the fact that people weren't expecting them to come out with this iPod, this really revolutionary uh, machine. Um, and so you would see that jump. 
Or what you could also see is, let's say um, uh, they came out with uh, an iPod in an alternate universe that everyone hated and disliked. Then you could probably see their stock drop because it would be basically um, an event or something that they went out of their way to do that would, I mean, down the line, lose them money. Okay. So you'd see something like that happen or even expectation things. So, for instance, uh, today um, there's a Chinese company with the ticker symbol CNET, kind of like the news company um, that uh, went up about, from my memory, maybe 400 percent. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously, that's quite a prodigious jump and not one that you see often at all. But the one of the like one of the main reasons was because they decided to team up with and CNET is a internet provider, and uh, they decided to team up with another company to create an internet that uh, utilized blockchain. Uh, so that makes sense. you know hitting on the hype and like you see and gr- granted that's usually why you see uh, stocks go up and down, but you'll see kind of wacky things in the fact of like so recently as well. Long Island Ice Tea, you know that company. <laughs> yeah. So you're laughing, so it sounds like you know. Uh, they're they're obviously Long Island Ice Tea is their name, but recently they changed it to uh, Long Blockchain, and their stock shot up significantly because of that. And so you see wacky things like that, or uh, when Pokemon Go started up people started buying Nintendo stock like crazy thinking it was them when it really was Niantic that was kind of behind the whole app and the whole generation of it or, you know, a misunderstanding of uh, ticker symbols. I've seen that as well. So that's what I was about to ask you next, right? You touched on it a few times. So like the touch base on what the ticker is and the symbols and like what that is and like the basic of that, why it's important in the stock world. Um, well, your ticker is basically uh, how your stock is like named or, uh, you know, for instance, uh, the ticker symbol for Ford Motor Company is F or the ticker symbol for AT&T is T. Um, the ticker symbol for Alphabet, which is Google's mother company, is under G-O-O-G-L or G-O-O-G mm-hmm. as well. So, I mean... Um, you have different ticker symbols for different things. Um, I think and like, they can be fun or very accurate. Mm-hmm. So for instance, I named a few like, uh, alphabet, Google, um, basically that's what the ticker symbol spells. Then you have some like, uh, I think Dave and Buster's is fun, mm-hmm. like F U N and sense. stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things like when I am doing my research into this world and it was nice to like understand that because it's updated relatively frequently. It seems accurate. From um, what? The tick, just like the people who update the ticker and are getting that information oh, out to the Oh, the ticker public. information, yeah. like the actual equity yeah. prices? Well, it depends on where you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I strongly recommend Yahoo Finance. Um, I think it's one of Yahoo's like best performing categories itself as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the closest you'll probably get to like a... Uh, a Bloomberg terminal um, without paying that excessive that amount of money. Yeah. That's a, I, you saying Yahoo. I haven't been on Yahoo in a, a while. I mean, at one of the where I work, I hear Yahoo Finance a lot. But other than that, I 
don't hear about Yahoo ever. Yeah. Yeah. And that's same here with me. Like before I would never use Yahoo for anything. And I mean, now I use it basically every day and, uh, but it's only the finance side. Yeah. And then, so moving a little bit further into this world. So your next step is you have a little bit of money to put towards a certain company stock or equity or whatever it may be. Um, how, what are the steps to, you know, purchasing it or where to go or some of the things to consider? Like we'll talk small amount, like say you have $20 to like a big amount. Say you have like over, you know, 10 grand, you know? Um, well, if you were deciding to do individual investing, the first thing you need to know or like just determine is, uh, your risk aversion. So how like willing are you to accept risk for return basically? Cause that changes in a large amount of ways because let's say that you are extraordinarily risk averse and instead of investing all that stuff into stocks, uh, you might want to invest it in government bonds, which are basically the safest thing virtually, uh, you know, they will not default virtually. But, and then by risk averse, do you mean like how much you're willing to lose or what you're yeah, what exactly. percentage or you're like, willing to lose or, or not? Yeah. How much you dislike risk or how much you're willing to put up with risk basically is what I mean on that. And, um, when you decide that you can kind of, uh, kind of put your money here and there. But if you aren't willing to do like some serious research, um, and looking into, you know, statistical analysis or, and things like that about the specific stocks you're looking into, then I would strongly suggest, and you were committed to being in the market. That is, I would strongly suggest like, you know, um, diversified, uh, options and the fact that you have ETFs, which are electronically traded funds, um, and also like index funds, which, are basically help you with diversity. So what an index fund is and what an ETF is, is um, basically it's it's a whole pool of uh, stocks or basically a whole pool of assets that make up this kind of one fund. So are they usually in that one fund, do you take, are they similar industries or are they just different funds put into so so you can oh yeah um sorry but you can do different things and i mean you could think of it as like somewhat of a mutual fund but more equities based uh like there's mutual or etfs or index funds for uh like american or like uh domestic growth stocks or even uh, stocks that have to do with uh, homes, as in like, you know, companies that help construct homes and uh, companies that give out mortgages and things like that. I mean, you can there's there's a lot of indexes and a lot of ETFs for things. Um, if you were to be the most diverse you or diverse, you would want to put it probably in a whole bunch of different things. And one of being is uh, the S&P 500, which is the S&P 500, there um, is an actual, like, how do I describe it? It's basically like a, a market of a whole bunch of funds, and it stands for Standard and Poor's 500. Um, there's also others 
like uh, the Dow Jones Industrial, which has 30 stocks in it. You can and those are the two like that you hear on the news uh, frequently referred uh, to. Yeah, like the, the Dow opened at X and Y or. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, there's others like the New York Stock Exchange, things like that. And then um, going outside, like internationally, um, there's others like Japan's, I think, is the Nikkei. Uh, I'm not sure how many uh, stocks are on that. I don't know a lot about that one. But yeah, I mean, there's tons of them out there. And then so... The other thing I like after you have a, you know, you purchase a few different stocks or go into different, you know, mutual funds and you kind of create your portfolio or whatever that may be. Um, how is that taxed and how, how does that work? Like, so I put my money, so I have a thousand bucks and I put into different shares and places and bonds and X and Y. Am I taxed up front or am I taxed on the backside? Is there like a different tax break? So there's, um, uh, and I'm not an accountant, so please don't take my word for gospel. And, um, if you're in, find yourself in this situation, please like, you know, talk to your accountant or, you know, reach elsewhere than just this podcast because you're probably going to get a lot more poignant knowledge or at least uh, specific knowledge to exactly what state you're in and Mm -hmm. what tax bracket you land in and whatnot. But what you find is that you'll be taxed, at least in my shoes, you can get taxed on both ends. So on the front end, you can get taxed by the dividend income that you uh, basically accrue by owning these companies and them basically giving you uh, money for being an owner. So like if you put in like 20 bucks and it rose to like a hundred bucks, you get taxed on that 80 or you get, so, I mean, there's also that too, but that's Mm -hmm. more of like a a capital gains that fluctuates and changes depending on how long you hold the stock as well. So let's say that, in my specific scenario, if I held a stock for a year or over a year, then I escape capital gains and then it drops down to a different tax bracket. Um, but being that there is just tax reform, this is kind of, it might be outdated knowledge that, um, some of this is like based on, but for the most part, it's going to be pretty working. The only thing I know for sure with this new tax plan is that dividend income is um its tax rate is decreased okay and then so we talked about long term you know holding some money in these stocks and seeing how they grow um, i think it's a good thing to touch on or a kind of a historical standpoint to touch on is um going back to you know the great depression or you know the stock market crash in 19 19- 29 I believe it was and kind of what some of what had happened there um and kind of like you'll as we might touch on it we touch is like the market runs for so long you kind of see expectancies if it's going to dip again or if it's going to you know boom I don't know what the correct word is there but like our current market's kind of in that state where some people are forecasting it might dip or crash soon because it's been a long run um and that i think it's good to know the context of you know the great stock market crash or the great depression yeah sure so the depression the old the like the one that you were talking about the earliest one 
that happened mainly on margin calls and the fact that a lot of people that were participating in the stock market, they were using margins and what margins are is, so let's say that uh, there is a stock out there, um, apartment podcast stock, and it was $100. What are you talking about? That's like a million dollars. <laughs> well, a million dollar company, uh, well, multi-million dollar yeah. company, the $100 stock, let's say. And so uh, the stock's $100, but I only have... 30. And so what I would do and what I still can do is go to my company that uh, is my brokerage house and be like, hey, I want to buy this stock. Can I buy it on margin? And so let's say that their margin rate was 25%. So I put up $25 and they put up the rest, which would be $75. And so I technically own that stock. But at the same time, um, I owe them money and it could fluctuate depending on, you know, how much that, what that stock does. And I mean, they can be, they can call it whenever. And that's one thing that happened in that era Mm -hmm. is that, um, there was panic that ensued. And since people were over levered and the fact that they had a lot of money borrowed when companies said, all right, you got to pay me for all the stocks that you like basically I loaned you for people didn't have the money for that. And, um, uh, I mean, we saw what happened. Yeah. And I think it's not like that wasn't the main cause of great depression. Like some jobs were in decline at that time. And then you, when that happened and that panic sets in, I think a few years later, like multiple banks were failing and shutting out and causing that kind of 10 year run of the great depression and all the negative side effects of that. And then you kind of branch into something more recent, maybe to our generation, is what happened in 2007 to 2008. Um, something that at least you know I was alive for. And I think most of you listening were alive for. Um, I don't exactly remember it a whole lot because I mean, 2007, 2008, I was probably you know, maybe 10, maybe somewhere in that range. Um, but that's something else that has occurred. And I think, you know, a little bit more about that than I do. Yeah. So what happened in that specific scenario, that being that it happened in our generation, which is pretty interesting, the cause of that, or one of the main causes of that was there was a lot of Uh, I don't want to say out of control, but I would say ill-advised lending when it came to subprime mortgage lending. Mm -hmm. And what subprime means is basically the people that are applying for those loans, for those mortgage loans to buy houses, were not like, like extraordinarily good lenders on paper. So let's say their credit score was not hot and... Or maybe that they had a couple bankruptcies in the past or, and I mean, you don't need to have those things to be a subprime lender or a subprime borrower in the first place. But the, basically the main occurrence of that was there was a lot of people getting loans. The banks were giving them loans when, um, they really shouldn't have been giving them loans. And so what happened at that time was the market was super hot people were buying homes and then eventually like oh, you wow. think yeah when you keep on loaning uh peep like you know in that situation 
people stopped being able to pay and started defaulting and uh, it kind of snowballed into this thing where banks would have this huge, 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 like, you know, amount of debt that was just defaulted on. And then eventually with that, a whole bunch of other things started collapsing down and like that's when the government had to step in. That's mm-hmm. when the recession happened and had to ba- like bail these banks out because mm-hmm. without those banks, um, they were basically too big to fail. Yeah. I'm sure you, everyone's heard yeah. that term before. And I think um, if you haven't seen it, a movie that touches, I think touches base on that or does a good job showing that is called The Big Short with uh, Steve Carell and a few other guys. And they talk about, um, I think it was based on a group of, or loosely based on a group of real individuals in this group that kind of saw that these loans were, I think where they're calling them, I don't know what the level is. Don't quote me on this, but it was like basically you have like a triple a or an a loan. And then it goes to like double a B C. But basically if you have a certain type, like I say, triple say, we'll say triple a is the highest. Don't quote me on that. But you say you have that in there and you fill it with a bunch of stuff like a, C type loans or whatever discretionary in there. So you're making these kind of, like you said, uh, people who shouldn't be loaning money or kind of bad loans, everyone's getting it. And in the movie they show like, you know, strippers and dancers and all these people, not saying they can't afford a house, but traditionally like can't afford the houses that they were buying. And, you know, with other factors, eventually, like you said, people can't pay that back or, get behind on payments and then that makes you know the loan the person loaning or the bank suffer and it kind of falls out from beneath you yeah definitely and so i've never seen that movie before but Uh, sounds interesting yeah i mean uh it's michael scott in the professional setting (laughs) if you know if you guys are a fan of the office um yeah i I didn't know much about it i knew i was alive for 2007 2008 and i watched it i would recommend watching it i think it was cool and informative and did a good job of displaying and it's also i always think when i'm watching a movie seeing it's loosely based on a true story that like these dudes knew what, what knew what was going on and they just like killed it and profited off of it and understood. Um, I think Christian Bale's in it. Um, and he plays a, he plays a guy who gets like shunned for noticing it. And then, you know, it goes from there. And then I think that's a good transition into not necessarily that type of thing, but some of the risk you have in purchasing a stock is why you should diversify. Um, and I think you could touch base on what diversifying is. Yeah, definitely. The reason why you'd want to diversify or basically spread your ownings out is because without diversification, you are left very, very vulnerable to volatility in this, the one stake that you hold or the one position you hold. And so diversification would be, for instance, let's say that I was super heavy on um, consumer like durable goods. So let's say that I owned a whole bunch of Ford stock or something or GM and to be diversified, I'd also want to own like different things. For instance, let's say breakfast cereal. So I own General Mills and then I own Amazon um, 
and I own like Kroger for the grocery and mm-hmm. I also own like NRG, which is a renewable energy company and things like of that nature. And then you want to own like a cybersecurity uh, company too, or some of it um, just so that, you know, your wins, your wins are your wins, but your losses aren't as hard. Mm-hmm. And that's basically goes down to hedging your hedging your bets and uh this might be a little more advanced than 101 but you don't always have to buy other stocks to be diversified in the same way because you can also uh, buy positions or derivatives which means so the big short movie they basically um without seeing it i'm i would assume that they put out a whole bunch of or they bought a whole bunch of put calls. And mm-hmm. so, for instance, a put call is the opposite of going long in a stock. It's um, basically, shorting. yeah, shorting a stock, meaning that you are anticipating it going down in price, and that's how you make your money. Yeah, and I think that I think it's like having all of your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have all your eggs in one basket and something happens to that basket, your loss is huge as if you have your eggs kind of spread out. You, like you said, you may feel a loss in some areas, but you have other things that could be rising where you don't necessarily feel it as heavy as losing, you know, losing all five eggs opposed to losing half of one egg, but the other four kind of staying consistent or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And this isn't just anecdotal either. It's, it's truly like mathematically proven that diversification, um, increases your return. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think um, another thing that kind of made me think about this, though, is like if you are on, you know, like an employee stock purchasing plan, say where you work gives you the opportunity to buy stock. Um, it's important to like understand what they're giving you. But if once again, like if that's all you have and that's all you think about, like, oh, I do own stock. It's just from uh, Star Wars Company W2 or whatever it is that we have a Star Wars box in our in our apartment right now and but like say that you know the company doesn't do well or you know it shuts down and all of your money is in there for that stock you're probably going to end up in some trouble if you don't you know get ahead of that yeah definitely and that doesn't mean just you know buying more of different stocks that also means rebalancing if you have to sell off some of your stake in one company just because it got bigger than you anticipated um, just so that you are more diversified for those circumstances when that stock becomes or decreases in value. Yeah. And I think too, when you get these stocks, it's nice to sometimes I don't say your stock is doing really well. It's always fun to kind of evaluate that stock and say, you do have X amount of shares and it's like, Oh wow, it just peaked at 150 bucks. You know, I bought this for $60 or whatever, like that process of understanding, like, is it going to go higher? Maybe I should sell some off and make, you know, something back or make my, I don't know what that term is. Net capital gain. Um, I wouldn't be capital gain, but I think what you're trying to say is make your principal back. Yeah, I guess that's it. And that's what, not seeing that it's the same, but like some people with cryptocurrency are seeing that trend where, you know, they bought it for, you know, we'll say Bitcoin. They bought it for, you know, cents on the dollar when it first came out. And now it's 16 grand. Like you always are evaluating, do I sell it or do I keep it? And that's some of the, some people find that fun and finding that knowledge if it's going to keep going higher or lower. And that's as you get further and further into the stock. Um, one thing I want to touch base a little bit more on is the ETFs. 
and kind of a, a quick summary of that and what it brings to you. So the ETFs, um, back in the day of uh, a couple years before I was in college, the ETFs, I mean, they're quite, they're quite a new thing that has arrived on the scene relatively. And what they are, like I mentioned, electronically traded funds, they are, you can imagine they're in a mutual fund. Um, and the fact that they're diversified in what they own and kind of assemble into this one uh, uh, conglomerate of a asset. But ETFs are interesting and cool in the fact that you can buy and sell them as if they were just an individual stock. Oh, okay. I didn't know. I thought it was kind of the same premise of like a mutual fund or something like that they they definitely have uh some things that look like a mutual fund and then they also have some things that look like or characteristics that look like a mutual fund and characteristics that look like an equity so do you have any kind of background or prior knowledge or research on why what made etfs kind of pop and come into the limelight um i i personally do not know but i know the reason why they would be so attractive is because they offered something that I don't think was in the market or super represented in the market uh, Mm -hmm. beforehand. So seeing that that's kind of in the new age, we'll talk about how some of the technology has come in and influenced, you know, stocks as of recently or over the past few years. Yeah. So the ways that technology has played its role into the stock market is, I mean, besides the actual tech tech companies that are in the stock market and, you know, how they do, um, the ways that people are being able to use computers and either analyzing stocks um, quicker than they could do with pen and paper or even purchasing stocks, making it so much more cheaper and um, quicker to buy stocks has like changed fundamentally changed the game in some ways because imagine this so back in the day you would get a stock price for a day so Mm -hmm. you had this you knew the stock uh american podcasting company it was at a hundred dollars at the beginning of the day and you saw it on the newspaper and then you had to call up your your stockbroker and say hey i want to buy uh, 80 shares of American podcasting company, um, at that hundred dollar mark and go like basically start like that. And, um, obviously you could see how that would be very slow. And also (laughs) the, that broker that you just called up, uh, also needs to be paid as well. So there's a commission for him. Little man. Yeah, exactly. Things of that nature. Um, and so nowadays you have even options where um, relative to, I mean, compare that story to a story that I live and the fact that I could um, see this ticker by the second, how it changes when people buy or sell. And also I can purchase it without even paying a commission at all. Uh, and certain brokerage comp firms or companies, which is, I mean, obviously a huge divergence. And that's just one way that technology has played a role in finance yeah. or equities. Yeah. And I think it gives 
a lot more accurate information. It's quicker up to date. You can do your research, like I said, analyze. Then you have all these other apps that are coming out, you know, smartphone based, whether it be um, something like Acorn or something else. You have all these different avenues to go through without a middleman and your way to find your comfort you know your comfort zone in doing it without having to go through someone else and hearing their opinion you can just go on kind of what you want to do and i think that's going to continue changing as technology goes where you might find you know and there might be a new way to do it or some other software or something that comes in that can you know help or guide you more where it makes it less of a you know a scary huge barrier to entry to you know putting your money into this stock yeah definitely and i mean you see that with the growth of machine learning and finance as well and having these machines that are high like high velocity trading machines that basically are created and go onto the stock market to buy and sell in very very minute um spreads and uh in quick very very quick quicker than me and you could do it um, and so just that fundamentally will affect the stock market and with machine learning now, I mean, there's some like smart funds or basically funds that are managed by machines and artificial intelligence as well. Mm-hmm. So you, pardon me, uh, I was going to say, yeah, you see things like that and it's, I mean, that, that has just happened and less than probably the amount of years that we can count on our hands. This wasn't happening in 2012 or was something they were thinking about or maybe was uh, in gestation. But now we see this in these things, you know, get in front of us today. Yeah. So you've seen kind of the accumulation from the basics of, you know, stock and equities 101 to kind of where it's going. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and reach out to us. Let us know. We enjoy talking about this. Um, Even if you aren't going to, you know, go purchase a stock after this or look into it, like we hope you pick something up. Uh, We hope you can share it with your friends. We're on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, all these different platforms. any final words? Yeah, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. And uh, if you'd like to hear a little bit more about um, this finance stuff and everything, let us know. And whatever communication uh, medium you want to let us know at. And also, I hope you guys have a great 2018. Uh, as the winter goes on, you'll be seeing more clothes on me or be hearing more clothes on me. Uh <laughs> Yeah, guys, thanks. Podcast that layers up. Catch you next time.